Coming up on today's episode of the Locked On Bucks podcast, we're talking about roster moves, we're talking about a preseason game, and we're talking a little bit of injuries. Guys, do you remember the days when you were always ready to go? Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up. Blue Chew, that's blue like the color blue. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach, and since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as the pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Now, this isn't just for guys who can't perform. It's for any guy who wants that extra function to enhance their performance in the bedroom. For instance, you know, a lot of guys talk a big game, but if you're a one-and-done kind of guy, Blue Chew can even help you get to round number two. Blue Chew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor's visits, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than the pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for all our listeners. Visit bluechew.com and get your first shipment free when using our special promo code locked on. Just pay the $5 shipping. Again, that's B L U E chew.com. Promo code locked on L O C K E D O N to try Blue Chew for free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast you are locked on buccaneers your daily tampa bay buccaneers podcast part of the locked on podcast network your team every day what's up and welcome back to the locked on bucks podcast i'm james yarko joined as always by david harrison you can find everything that we're doing over at BucksNation.com and make sure you follow along on Twitter at LockedOnBucks, at JayArco underscore Bucks, at DH82 underscore Bucks, and at Bucks underscore Nation. James, we already know that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have made addressing the secondary by adding new players, adding new talent, a big focal point uh, coming into the 2019 season. But unfortunately, due to some injuries, the Buccaneers have been forced once again to kind of make some moves and to address the defensive side of the ball. Of course, a lot of this was was financed through the release of veteran offensive lineman Evan Smith. Yeah, absolutely. You know, cutting Evan Smith freed up uh, the Bucks ended up with about four point four million dollars in cap space. So they went out and they signed a defensive lineman. Shane Bowman, a former teammate of Vita Vea's at Washington, and they signed former Tennessee safety Micah Abernathy. Um, you know, they they had to sign a safety essentially just to be able to field a proper team at practice. Justin Evans is still out. There's been a, a lot of injuries to the position. So they really needed to go out. They had to bring in a safety. I know a lot of people were kind of keeping their fingers crossed that Eric Berry would be that guy. Does not look like that is going to happen right now. They're looking at a little bit of depth and probably more so a camp body than anything in Abernathy unless he really shines. I mean, this is a guy that led the Vols in interceptions and was second on the team in tackles in, I believe it was 2016 or 2017. Uh, So the guy can make plays, but there's a reason he's still kind of floating out there this late into the process. So they had to go out and address some depth issues along the defensive line and back in the secondary. 
Right, and that safety area, honestly, is where my eyes are turned as we move forward with the preseason. As as it stands right now with this signing, they obviously have him, but they've also got guys like Kentro Bryce, Lucas Dennis, uh, Mike, Edward, Mike Edwards is nursing an injury himself, Isaiah Johnson, Jordan Whitehead. So when, when safety was starting to look like it could almost become a, a position of strength two years ago with Justin Evans kind of emerging as a, as a potential star player, now with his injuries and struggles and now with what's going on there, the secondary once again is in flux, especially the back end of this defense, which is so important when you're talking about playing an aggressive scheme and you're talking about playing a, a press man coverage system where cornerbacks are they're going to be relied on as, as individual defenders and be on the quote-unquote island a lot. However, when you do need that single high safety or when you do have that top coverage from the safeties, you want to make sure it's good. Bowman and Abernathy mark the eight, the seventh and eighth players that the Buccaneers have signed as injury replacements since the start of training camp. So definitely plenty of things to keep an eye on moving forward for the Buccaneers. And as you said, David, the safety position is definitely the more concerning. Uh, but And we're going to get to to the preseason debut recap here momentarily but one of the things that I think Bowman is is certainly going to help with is we saw some trouble with depth in that front seven against the Steelers on Friday night he's already familiar with with one of the Buccaneers as I said earlier in Vita Vea so that's probably going to help a little bit too but I I don't remember really seeing much out of Bowman so I'm interested to see how he's going to fit in how quickly he can grasp what's going on with with Todd Bowles' defense. And because of the depth issue, if he's going to find his way, it, at the very least, past the initial uh, round of cuts. But there's a lot of teams that are going to be making a lot of moves here in the next couple of days after the first, uh, the first preseason game and, and being able to evaluate. So... With that in mind, David, let's go ahead and jump to the voicemails. Well, we did get one post-game uh, reacting to the Buccaneers' 30-28 to loss to the Steelers. And before we jump over to that, I will say we do appreciate all the voicemails that are being sent in. We are not going to be able to get to all of them. Uh, if you guys haven't noticed already, we're going through a little bit of a show structure change, which is going to going to change some things around. We're still coming at you five days a week, but the structure of the show is going to be just a little bit different. So chef, I apologize. We didn't get to your, um, your pregame prediction voicemail. Please continue to send them in. Don't get discouraged. If we don't play yours on the air, we're just not going to be able to get to as many of them as we did in the past. So I know Layton sent in a phone call uh, reacting to the game. So David, let's go ahead and jump over and listen to that. Hey guys, it's Layton in Tampa right after the first preseason game. Encouraged by a lot that I saw, especially first and second teams. Uh, obviously there's some issues with run defense, um, and a little bit on pass, um, on the backups, but I'm sure Bulls and Arians will be looking at tape tonight, tomorrow, and some decisions will be made as far as coaching and so forth. Um, for Friday's uh, next uh, practice. So, as always, go Bucks and look forward to the podcast and then the next preseason game against the Dolphins. Take care, guys. All right, Leighton, thank you so much for the phone call. And, and David, let's go ahead and dive into 
into Friday night's game. There was a lot of good things to take away from the game. There were certainly some bad things to take away from the game, but I'll, I'll say this and feel free to disagree with me, but the run defense, as far as when the, the starters were in, and even a little bit into the second string, is not something I would put in the bad category. The run defense, I thought, was very, very good. Dobbs did break out for a couple of scrambles that led to big plays, but as far as the running backs were concerned, especially running up the middle, this run defense looked really stout. Uh, I was I was actually pretty impressed with the way the defense overall played, but but the run defense I thought was was really, really good in, in the first quarter and, and bleeding a little bit into the second. Well, I mean, I would say that, you know, uh, the, the Buccaneers' first team beat the Steelers' first team. And I hesitate in saying that a little bit because we all know that the Steelers' first team wasn't the complete first team. Uh, ben Roethlisberger obviously wasn't out there. Juju Smith-Schuster obviously wasn't out there. But um, by and large, what you saw was a good – start and representation to what the Buccaneers have been doing. And I kind of, we, we kind of talked about this before, really what we were looking for, James, is, is you know, the the mentality of the team, the play calling of the team, the scheme. We really wanted to see because everything we've been hearing, this should have been a night and day difference between watching Buccaneers football. And what I saw was a night and day difference in watching Buccaneers football. Even the way that one off offensive drive went for James Winston and the Buccaneers uh, offense there, the play calling was different. You know what I mean? There were, there was an obvious attempt to get a rhythm going between the run game and the pass game and running to set up the pass and passing to set up the run and complimentary football and all those things that we've heard many, many coaches, you know, before Bruce Arians and Tampa talk about. But unfortunately, we just haven't seen a whole lot of them do it. And, and what really stood out to me is that it didn't feel like at any point during the game from a play calling standpoint that there was somebody on the sideline saying, no, damn it, we're going to attack with this type of strategy and it's going to work because you're players and you're going to execute what I tell you to execute. What I saw, even when the offense was struggling, even when they were you know three and outs, even when they weren't scoring, even when they weren't getting first downs in the second and third string uh, guys were on the field, it didn't feel to me that Byron Leftwich, and I don't know if, if Leftwich called the plays for the entire game. I know sometimes teams will allow assistants the opportunity to call plays, just kind of get that experience and all that. But whoever was calling the plays, it just didn't feel like the mentality coming from the sideline was we're going to run these plays because coaches want you to be able to execute these plays. What it was is, okay, that didn't work. What can we find that will work? And eventually, as we saw later in the game, the the third team did kind of get rolling a little bit here and there. They they definitely had some struggles. That's why they're the third team. But they those guys were playing hard and the play calling, they, they it made sense for the most part. I know a lot of people have problems with these two-point conversions. But when you're talking about between the goal lines, you're talking first down through third down, it seemed like play calling was was smart and was better than what we had seen in the past. And that's really the biggest thing I was looking for. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. Now, one of the things that I will point out as being really ugly, I actually wrote about it uh, for, for Bucks Nation. And this is a problem, David, that we've seen no matter who the coach is for the last decade. And it was penalties. And it wasn't even penalties that were like ticky-tack calls or, or anything like that. These were just flat-out boneheaded mistakes by the Bucks. I mean, on, on the Steelers' first drive, <clears throat> James Washington torched Vernon Hargraves for a 43-yard gain. The Steelers' second 
offensive drive. Vernon Hargraves redeems himself, intercepting a ball on a very similar pattern, um, you know, that was intended for Washington. But that interception was negated because Rakeem Nunez Roaches decided to get called for defensive holding on just a dumb play. This is a team that got penalized for illegal formation on a kickoff. Inexcusable mistakes. 14 penalties for 112 yards. That is something that Bruce Arians has to be completely irate about. And we've heard time and time again about the accountability board that he has where he's he's posting the guys' names <clears throat> that that made mistakes. And that that board has to be overflowing after Friday's game. Those penalties have to get cleaned up. That amount of penalties and the type of penalties that they were show a team that wasn't focused and a team that isn't being coached properly. And those are not traits that are indicative of Bruce Arians and his staff. You you have to eliminate these mental mistakes. And so I'm sure that's going to be a huge point of emphasis while you're at practice this week there at uh, the Advent Health Training Center. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, it, there were definitely a lot of penalties called, but I didn't think it was as big of a deal as it perhaps could have been just because we saw this last preseason as well. And I was talking to a couple of guys during the game in like a separate private chat, a couple other rivals too. And we were kind of talking about these penalties. And I really, I really almost feel like the NFL, from an officiating standpoint, goes out and tells these officials in the preseason, we want to drive some certain points home. We want to drive some things home. We want to make sure we test some of these protocols. So, like pass interference, it's like we're going. Like if if you think there's a sliver of a hair's chance that there was pass interference, throw that flag so we can test this pass interference challenge system. And then same thing is if you think there's a possibility of a penalty, throw the flag and we'll adjust fire from there. We'll we'll kind of tinker with it. So like somebody at the league office or the head ref or whoever is looking at the film of the penalties that were called so they can say, okay, team, because, you know, these guys work in squads and they say, okay, team, you called this hold. What did you see? Well, I saw this. Okay, check it out. Here's maybe why during the regular season it's not a hold. So that's how the NFL can kind of get at fine-tuning their refs because, again, I remember last year we had a whole lot of penalties and a lot of people were making a lot of noise about it. And then we came to the regular season, and it really was. It was mostly just bis- bis- just business as usual. Uh, you know, if you breathe on a quarterback too heavily and you're, if you're if the temperature of your breath is too hot when you breathe on them, then you're going to get flagged 15. Other than that, for the most part, it's guys playing football. Um, what I was interested in seeing, though, was how that defensive pass interference or that pass interference – protocol was going to work and we saw that i'm going to say early on just because it is we going in the preseason so we saw it early on uh there with sean murphy bunting i know there were a couple other games where those situations came up and people threw the flags and i think overall the reaction has been fairly positive that that it's going to be something that's good moving forward it's not going to really interfere with the game flow uh too much but yes i mean i think any coach seeing that amount of penalties on their team is going to definitely harp on it um, I'm pretty sure the Buccaneers are going to have referees out this week, especially when the Dolphins are in town. I mean, a joint practice without referees on the field or officials on the field to kind of help mitigate things and help uh, give give penalties and all that stuff is, is I don't want to say it's worthless, but it's it's definitely better to have them on the field. So I'm pretty sure the Bucs will have refs on the field this week in practice, and I'll definitely keep an ear out to see if 
that's something that they're they're focusing on. Let's let's jump back over to uh, a positive takeaway. And Ronald Jones looked like a completely different human out there. He really he was running effectively, efficiently. He was decisive. He was making some great plays. Now, of course, Peyton Barber got the start. But Rojo ended up with the with the bulk of the carries between the two of them. And then your boy, Dare Agunbawale, he had a heck of a game. So, Dessert. again, we, we preached it on Friday's episode, and we're going to abide by it. No overreactions, good or bad. But are you feeling any better about the Bucks running back stable now than you were previously or are you about the same where do you stand on on barber rojo dare uh we didn't get to see much of of bruce anderson unfortunately but we did see plenty of of andre ellington as well yeah i mean i still still love peyton still think peyton's the number one guy um but i feel like it's going to be much more of a running game split um that's that's kind of one of the things you know we do the fantasy football uh, episode every week and that's kind of one of the things that's going to make you nervous about drafting any Buccaneers running back similar to a new New England running back is that each running back is going to have their role and their strengths. Uh, Coach Arians talked about the roles and strengths of every single running back on the roster. And I guarantee you that they plan on fully taking advantage of every single player's strengths uh, as much as possible to, to, to one control the clock, control the pace of the game and really beat the opposing defense in submission Two, when you look at a quarterback like James Winston, who's under so much scrutiny for his, for his decision-making, if the only decision he's, he's got to make on a snap is to give the ball to the right guy, then there's no chance he's making a bad decision. And I say that with my fingers crossed, hoping that he's not going to prove me wrong. Um, but the more you run the ball, the less you throw the ball. So logic says the less you throw the ball, the fewer mistakes your quarterback can make. Right? It, it all just kind of goes hand in hand. Um, but sticking to the running backs, I know we're probably going to get to James Winston here in a second, but sticking to the running backs, still love Peyton. Let me tell you something. With Rojo, what I was honestly most impressed with is his football IQ, which I know we talked about earlier in the offseason, and his field vision. When when you look at Rojo in college, he really didn't need to read the field. He didn't really need to have that wide lens on him to, to see what the defense was going to do because it's USC, and some of the competition really isn't that great. And in college football, guys, we all know your physical talents can make up for, for uh, technical uh, deficiencies. And Rojo probably leaned on those a little bit more than you would like coming into the NFL, but he can get away with it in college, so why not do it? What I saw in Pittsburgh, and this really doesn't matter the caliber of talent you're going up against, is I saw a running back who, took when he got the ball, he had had an idea what the defense was going to do against him. He read what the defense showed him versus what he expected, and he adjusted on the fly without stuttering, without having to come to a stop. And that right there, honestly, for a guy like Rojo, I think is going to be the biggest improvement for him from one, from year one to year two. Because if he is smarter about defenses, if he's smarter about how they move at the snap of the ball, if he's smarter about how his blocks are going to line up with that movement and what he needs to do to be successful, that's how you're going to get him in open space. And if you get him one-on-one against a linebacker, against a DB, and there's no other help coming, there's no cavalry rallying to the point of attack, then I think that's where you're going to see some of these big runs in the future from Rojo. And I saw a little bit, granted, small sample size, but I saw a little bit of that from Rojo in Pittsburgh. And it made me happy because it was something he had already talked about himself. And, you know, the players coming out there saying that he feels smarter. It's because someone is telling him that he's being smarter. Um, 
Then with Dari, I mean, Dari is just, he's just reinforcing basically what we've been hearing from training camp is that he's just a solid depth guy. He's just a solid kid who's going to come out there and do what he needs to do for the team. That goal line series where they were lining up and Dari's literally just ramming himself into a wall. I mean, if you ever wanted to know if this kid had the team's interest at heart, that right there tells you that this dude is worried about the team being successful, not himself, because that's preseason. And there's no reason for him to slam himself into that defensive wall the way that he did uh, to get that score. And then Andre Ellington, it was just great to see Andre on the field, to be quite honest with you. I mean, I think the, the, the pecking order is pretty clear. Right now it's Peyton, Rojo, Andre, and Dare. I don't see that changing coming into week two. But depending on how Miami goes, if the, if the, if the ones get a little bit more time and that mix between Barber and Rojo gets, uh, gets blended a little bit more, and Rojo has a couple opportunities to execute that that IQ and and demonstrate that IQ a little bit. It's a big run. You might see Rojo kind of start eating into those those number one uh, snaps a little bit. Yeah, and, and you know Bruce Bruce Anderson already had a big enough hill to climb, and that hill just got a lot bigger and a lot steeper. And unfortunately, you know he didn't have a ton of opportunities Friday night. So what little opportunities he's getting in these preseason games, he absolutely has to make the most out of, and he has to absolutely ball out in practice this next week. If he wants to try to unseat Dare Agumba Wale, because that's a tall task. Now Dare is looking like somebody that you can rely on in that running game. You know, God forbid if, if Peyton goes down or Rojo goes down or, or Ellington goes down, you know, Dare looks like the real deal, and uh, and it was it was great to see. Now, you had mentioned Jameis. Let's go ahead and get into it. I don't really have a whole lot to say. I thought he looked fantastic. Uh, he had yeah. he had a bad overthrow um, with Perryman, but you know the the key play, and it's something that we've seen from Jameis a lot. So I don't want to say it's you know it's something new or or crazy, but it's it's that decision making that he had. Mm-hmm where he was pressured, spun out of a tackle, and instead of forcing the throw, he pulled the ball down and ran for the first down. That's what you want to see, and, and Arians was very complimentary of that play, You know that he didn't force a ball. He tucked it, he ran, he moved the sticks, and sure enough, it it led to a touchdown down the drive um, on a great play to Chris Godwin. You know, Chris Godwin, first down, touchdown, hashtag evergreen tweet. Um <laughs> But overall, you know, Jameis's performance, although small, um, it was great. I, I enjoyed the play calling. I enjoyed mixing in the run and the pass. He does need to work on that deep ball with Perryman. But, you know, it, it takes a little bit for, for that chemistry to go. If that had been Evans or if that had been Godwin or even O.J. Howard, he probably hits that pass. But, you know, that's that's a few years of of chemistry and trust being built there. Whereas Perryman's still the new man on campus and they, they need to work on it a little bit. I'm not concerned that it's going to be a Deshaun Jackson style, um, you know, misconnection, however you want to phrase it between Jameis and Perryman. It, you got to work the kinks out though. And so I like, they took the, the deep shot to try to work on it a little bit in the game. I'm sure we'll see another one against the dolphins. So yeah, Jameis two thumbs up Friday night. Yeah, if, if anybody's worried about Jameis Winston hitting Bruce or uh, Bruce uh, Rashard Perryman on deep passes because he missed one, then uh, there's there's really no saving you at this point. Honestly, if if one missed pass is going to send you off the deep end, but decision made. And you know what? You know what I noticed though was the feel of it. And we talked about this a little bit last year when Ryan Fitzpatrick kind of came in and was doing so well there there in the early part of the season. 
when Jameis Winston previously, when he came on the field, like you know the dude has has a lot of energy and you know he's got a lot of passion. And that's great. But sometimes that energy and passion can get up to a frenzy versus getting up to an excitement level that can be beneficial. And when he's frenzied, that's when bad things happen. What I felt like on on the field in week one is that Jameis was still energetic, but he was controlled. There was confidence in there. There was a smoothness, I think, is, is the best way I can describe it to the way that he played that I haven't really seen before. Um, usually when he got tempered down, it was because the team was losing by so much that it was almost like, okay, this just isn't going to happen. Um, but then at the end of the game, you'd see him kind of get frenzied up again, and then, then that's when you get some of those crazy plays. And and we talked about before how we want to get to the point where you see Jameis, you see Jameis doing things, improvising, and it's got to get to the point. Brett Favre had a point in his career where Green Bay Packer fans would see him improvising and say, oh, boy, here we go. What's Brett going to do? And get excited. With Jameis Winston right now, you see James start improvising, you get nervous. You know there's a possibility of good, but you're nervous because more often than not, you feel like there's going to be something bad that happens. When Jameis scrambled, when he when he absorbed the pressure, when he reacted to the pressure, got out of the pocket, I, I was holding – week one of preseason, I don't care. I'm, I was holding my breath. I was like, oh, here we go. Let's see what happens. And in my mind, I'm saying, run. Just run. Make the good decision and run. And when he ran – I literally, I celebrated. I wasn't in the press box, so I was allowed. I literally celebrated <laughs> in my living room because that's what we need to see. Now, it's one drive, but that's initial, that's initial play. That's the first time since December that Jameis Winston has played live football against an actual opponent. So that's big, I think. And the fact that it ended with a touchdown, now as a teacher, right, with Coach Arians, Coach Leftwich, all of them, as a teacher – you can go back and look at your quarterback who's got all this passion and all this energy and all this drive to succeed on every single snap and say, look, look what you did, young fella. You made the right decision, and it turned out to get you the end zone, or to get you into the end zone, get your team into the end zone later. That's why you do it. And that just reinforces that behavior. Because honestly, if Jameis does that, and then there's a penalty, and then a fumble or an interception, then in his mind somewhere – there's a little miniature double saying, see, James, you should have just thrown it at Mike in triple coverage in the end zone anyway. And that's, <laughs> where I, that's where I get worried. So the fact that he made the decision is number one. The fact that he seems so kind of smooth and collected is number two. And number three, the fact that it turned out to be an end zone, I think is really going to drive home the point that James is obviously learning to make better decisions. Now he's seeing the benefit to why and she's going to reinforce that behavior. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, plenty of good to take away from the game. Still some bad. Uh, but overall, it was uh, <clears throat> it was a solid debut for the Bruce Arians era uh, and and the Buccaneers. David, we are up against the clock. Any parting thoughts about Friday night's game before we get out of here? Uh, I mean, I would really just say and I, and I kind of wrote this. So Bailey Adams did her offensive kind of battle review, like updates, stock update. Uh, following the Steelers game, I did the defense and I put in there like nobody's stock went down on the defense for me. And I put that in there on purpose and I even wrote at the end that, yes, it was done by design. It's week one. Everybody is who they are. Like Sean, I know a lot of people were disappointed with Sean Murphy Bunting and so was Coach Arians and so was Sean himself. He tweeted out himself. He was disappointed with himself. But Sean Murphy Bunting was on the second team defense for a reason. Um, and I know a lot of people had some high expectations for him and all that stuff, but he was on the second team defense for a reason. What he looked like in week one was a second-team cornerback. 
You know what I mean? And as much as we don't want him to be a second-team cornerback, right now he's a second-team cornerback. So I look at it as his stock coming into the game was as a second-team corner. He left the game as a second-team corner. So his stock is the same. So there's no stock going down. Now, going from week one to week two, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where you got to start seeing improvement. Sean Murphy Bunting learned a lot of lessons in Pittsburgh. Let's see if he actually uses them and turns them into uh, production, if he turns them into improvement or not. That's where we're going to find out if Sean Murphy Bunting is what a lot of people thought he might be when they got when he got drafted. Um, but honestly, I mean, that's just kind of where I, like I, I I've heard and read and and you know seen some social media stuff and there's some people who are kind of disappointed. It's week one. There really shouldn't be anything to be disappointed about because week one with this team, with this team, with these coaches, with these players, this is your introduction. Like that to me is your starting point. Training camp is great, but there you don't know who your team is in camp until they hit an opponent. That's the first time they hit an opponent. So to me, that's level zero. That's ground floor. Now what we need to see is improvement. I know they're, they're banged up, but now we need to see improvement. The guys who were on the field, we need to see them getting better. Uh, Noah Spence had some ups and downs. We need to see more ups and downs. Sean Murphy Bunting got exposed a little bit. He had some decent plays at the same time, was in the right place at the same time. Now we need to see him not getting exposed. And when he's in the right place, we also need to meet, see him make the right decision and uh, come up with the big play. So to me, week one's ground floor. There's no news because it's all positive. It's all just ground floor. Now we need to see building. So now here's where we could could get negative. Yeah, and uh... – I agree 100%, and the only thing that I'll add is uh, Matt Gay, best kicker in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, I think, do we have a week one ring of honor induction? Because, I mean, it seems to me that we might as well just do it. The dude's first kick on an NFL field tied the record for the longest field goal on that particular NFL field. Um, To me, it's his job to lose. I don't care what the depth chart says. It's Matt Gay's job to lose, and I, I love that kid. He gets it. So with that, David, we have got to get out of here. We have more coming up for you tomorrow. We're going to get to a few more of the voicemails, talk about some of the injury issues that are uh, that are creeping up on this team. And, of course, we'll have David's firsthand account of a couple of days of training camp. So please make sure you're checking out everything going on over at BucksNation.com. Make sure you're following along on Twitter at LockedOnBucks, at JRCO underscore Bucks, at DH82 underscore Bucks, and at Bucks underscore Nation. Send us your voicemails to 813-444-5841. We promise we will get to as many of them as we can, but we cannot guarantee that we will get to all of them. Do not be discouraged. Just continue to send them in because you guys do a great job for us. Hope you all have an incredible Monday. And thank you so much for joining us right here at Locked on Bucks. Every time I look around, every time I look around, every time I look around.